All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10. This seems a little hot. Uh, my microphone seems a little hot. Thank you. Um, I want to talk today about sharing enough or caring enough to share. We start with this illustration. What if God had a care-o-meter where instead of having your blood pressure checked, uh, you know, they put that thing around your arm. What if they put something around your heart and, and to, to, to determine, do I really care about lost people? Do I care about people going to hell for all of eternity? Or am I just comfort, uh, comforted in my uh, own comfort zone? With, to illustrate this, I want to share a story. Now, this is not based on a true story. This is a true story. King Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. Just a heads up, kind of a longer intro and a short sermon, okay? So we start with this uh, King Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings ever, used to bring about and facilitate a huge revival that went through the uh, Jewish kingdom uh, in 2 Chronicles. So we're going to borrow from 2 Chronicles and some from Isaiah because they were uh, Hezekiah and King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. Now, in uh, 2 Chronicles 29, Hezekiah comes on the scene. He's 25 years old. To put that in perspective, that's like becoming an instant billionaire at 25 years old. Now, if you were 25 and overnight were handed a billion dollars, what kind of chariot would you have kind of tripped out, you know? Or what kind of home? Or how many homes? Or how much land? Yeah, I mean, you just go crazy with, with the extravagance. What would a 25-year-old do with a billion dollars overnight? But it says here in 2 Chronicles 29, he did was what was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father David had done, now that's an, a reference to King David. Of course, that wasn't his immediate father. It was his, like, forefather. But he, King David had set the pace for doing things with all your heart. So it, it lists things that King Hezekiah did. First, he cleansed and restored the temple building. It, it was a mess. It was a dump when he became king. So right away, it's, hey, let's clean up that place. He restored temple worship. And the Bible even lists with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. So he had an orchestra pit going. Matter of fact, his worship service would have been killer. Would have been like, what? I mean, ours is, I love what God's doing here. But to have a whole orchestra pit every time? And then it goes, he would sanctify, he challenged people. I want you to set your life apart from the Lord. And he would challenge them as a king. And then he would, uh, he reinstituted the Passover meal, which had been neglected for years. Then he would even encourage the priests. He'd go up to the priest and say, you're doing a good job. I know not everyone's on board, but you're doing a good job. Continue to lead the way. Now, he, he's, uh, he, in 2 Chronicles 32, so this is just three chapters later. It, it says this. King Hezekiah did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. I like this guy. Brings about revival. In every work that he began in the service of the house of God, he did it with all his heart. And for that reason, he prospered. It's not like a big secret. He just did it unto the Lord, did it with all his heart. And so at this point in his life, his carometer, you know, wrapped around his heart, do you care? It'd be off the charts. It, it would be awesome. And yet, this is a guy 
who went from having a heart of revival to at the end of his life he had a heart of selfishness or at best it was numb it was like what happened and, and so you, you go okay where did this guy go wrong uh, are you ready for this did you already guess the answer it's when he got old as he got older he got spiritually sloppy for instance I could ask you okay you've been a Christian for 10 years did you read your Bible late? Well, yeah, um, I think I read it someday this, really? Less than 24 hours ago. You've been praying, you've been sharing, you, you, you're, you're about the Great Commission, that's why we're here, we've got our marching orders from Jesus Christ. And, and no, he, he, as he got older, he got spiritually sloppy. Folks, that's the natural tendency. It's not like we get hotter and hotter and hotter and just out with a blaze of glory. The natural tendency is like a garden. Karen and I had a garden. When we lived at Belzeland, we had a huge garden. Way too much work. She wanted me to pull weeds instead of go surfing. I just, woman. It, in our garden, it was so easy to grow weeds and so hard to grow vegetables. The garden of your heart is the same way. It's so easy to get older and slacker and uh, so here's this great king again. Now, here's the, the history. It's going to shock you how he got so numb in his heart, how he got so spiritually sloppy, because it starts with a tremendous victory. Remember the one night that there's 185,000 soldiers out there? The Assyrians, the first world empire, came down, parked there, and they said, we're going to wipe you guys out. King Hezekiah gets with his buddy, Isaiah the prophet, and it's talked about in Chronicles and in Isaiah. And they pray. And God says, don't worry about them. What do you mean, don't worry? We're freaking out. No, 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 I'm going to take care of them. I'll send one angel. And that's all it takes. One angel in one night. 185,000 are wiped out. They're make. Dead. So it's a tremendous victory. But maybe you've heard the saying, you are very vulnerable after a tremendous spiritual victory. And so right after all this, you'd think it would be praise and glory and, and good times. And, and right after that, he gets sick. So we're talking about a radical roller coaster. He almost dies at this point. Matter of fact, his buddy, Isaiah the prophet, comes in and goes, Hey, buddy, King Hezekiah, set your house in order. You're going to die. And King Hezekiah said, Bless you too. Thanks for coming by today, you know. Well, you come over to tell me I'm going to die. And it says... King Hezekiah literally turned to the wall and starts crying. <laughs> what, if what if your president was shown on TV, turned to the wall and crying out? I mean, this is a king, and he's crying out, God, I've lived a good life. I, I don't know why you're going to die. Well, people die. And so he cried, and, and the Lord says, okay, to Isaiah, go back, tell him I'll give him 15 more years. Yeah, okay, I've heard your prayer, you're going you're gonna to live 15 more years. Which in the long run was kind of a bummer. Because in that extended 15 years, he fathered a child named Manasseh. Manasseh became the most evil king ever in Jerusalem. And the longest reigning, he, he was there for 55 years. And the blood was everywhere. He would murder people like crazy. So this extra 15 years turned out to backfire. Now, what happened... He's healed. And he testified. You know, so Isaiah comes back. 
He shows them how to get healed. He testifies. The king testifies. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, meaning God really used this trial in my life. You might be there present tense. You might be going through a great bitterness time right now and going, man, I don't know what's going on. I've had victory. I've been faithful. I've been used in this way. And all of a sudden, I'm going through this crazy thing. But King Hezekiah said, you know what? God used that time. When I thought I was dying, God used it. And watch this. But you have lovingly delivered me from the pit of corruption. Here's why. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. He said, you know what? At this point, so from the victory to almost dying to now getting healed, he's going, oh, and he's back to being up to date with the Lord. He's back, like you, you would say, in his first love with the Lord. But then he hits the pits again. The ultimate problem in King Hezekiah's life in his old age was pride. I wonder how it crept in. I wonder if he looked at his kingdom and goes, you know, I've, I've really accomplished a lot. A lot of those clowns from high school, they didn't do nothing with their lives. Look at this. Look at my family. Look at the houses. Look at the, you know, whatever we've done. He gets pride. He gets proud. His heart, it says, was lifted up. Now, this is what happened. This tiny nation of Babylon sent some ambassadors, some delegates, to the king. They said, hey, we heard you were healed, and we came to say congratulations. And, and so he goes, really? Where are you from? Babylon. Right? 300 miles to the east of here. It's across the desert. It's just a, we're just a little thing. You know. But our king said, hey, go bless this guy. So here we are. So King Hezekiah goes, really? You've never been? You want me to show you around? Yeah, yeah. What do you got? And he shows him everything. Shows him the temple, the gold, the jewelry, the riches, his home, everything. So now they're leaving. And as the delegation's leaving, Isaiah the prophet shows up and he goes, who, who are those guys? And the king goes, I don't, some Babylon, you ever hear of them? The Chaldeans? Maybe you ever read that? The Chaldeans, C-H-A-L-D-E-A-N-S. The Chaldeans, Babylonians, same thing. I don't know, some, they're 300 miles east of here. Never heard of them. Some little country. Uh, really? Uh, what'd you show them? Pfft, I showed them everything. <laughs> were they blown out? They were just gawking at our gold. They couldn't believe the treasure. I showed them. Man, they were just, what? Isaiah said, he pronounces judgment. Basically, if it were today, he'd say, you idiot. You fool, what have you done? You're high and lifted up. You're so proud. You've got to show off all your stuff. They are coming back, and they are going to destroy this place. They're going to burn down this impregnable city of Jerusalem. They're going to take all the gold, all the jewelry, all the stuff in the temple and carry it away. Matter of fact, they're going to take some of your sons, some of your grandsons, and turn them into slaves. But it won't happen during your day. This is his response. This is a heart that doesn't care anymore. He goes, well, the word of the Lord, which you said, was spoken is good. At least there'll be peace and truth in my days. At least I'll be okay. And you go, hey, King Hezekiah, this heartometer, how did you get 
so shallow. How did you go from everything you did was unto the Lord, you did it with all your might, and you industrially prospered, and now it's like, what? You did, your kids are going away in slavery. Your grandkids, you'll never see them again. At least I'll be okay. Do you know anybody like that? Let's turn it around now for Christians. Have I ever got that shallow? Here's the statement to know that you're in that King Hezekiah syndrome. At least I'm going to heaven. When you're looking at eternity and you're imagining people being cast into, in Revelation 20, it's the lake of fire. The fire never goes out. The worm never dies. And you're imagining that goes on for all of eternity while I'm in heaven. And then you see some disgusting sin. You see a heart that's so hardened they don't want to hear your good news. And you go, well, at least I'm going to heaven. That's the King Hezekiah syndrome. Perhaps every one of us has been there to where we just flippantly go, whatever. At least I'm okay. So what we want to do is get into this caring enough to share. With that kind of a background, what does it take to care enough to share? So we're in Romans chapter 10. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. And we had just finished, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now he's going to connect that with the next part of the, uh, the rest of this chapter. How then shall they call upon him? How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the, the gospel of peace, is quoting from Isaiah, who bring glad tidings of good things. They've not all obeyed. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? Again, he's quoting right from Isaiah. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I, I say, okay, let's, let's stop right there. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So here he is in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it's this obvious reference to hearing the gospel being preached, believing, keyword, and then surrendering to Jesus Christ, going to heaven in the long run. Now, this follows this beautiful promise that we just read in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. So you can't disqualify yourself. You say, well, I've done too bad. No, 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 no. It doesn't say whatever Jew calls upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't say whatever person raised as a Catholic calls on the name or whoever was raised in Hawaii. It doesn't say anything like that. It doesn't say everybody but you. It says whoever. It's a great promise. But now he wants to, to uh, connect these two things. So he's, if the desired end result is to hear the word of God, because faith comes by hearing, and, and then they, they, they believe in Jesus Christ, they, they go to heaven, and how are they going to believe? So now he has this Four questions, rapid fire. Let's connect the dots. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and you got to hear it, let's go backwards. How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe if they never hear? And how shall they hear if there's no preacher? And how, what if there's no missionary, no preacher who's sent? So in other words, 
Another further question, what if no one is sent because no one cares? It's no secret, maybe you've heard this before, American Christians spend more on dog food than they do on missions. I'm not here to condemn you if you've got a dog. We have a dog, and I know dog food costs money, but I want to make sure I'm spending more in missions, in sending the word out, part of the Great Commission, than I'm spending on dog food. Now, we have this responsibility. These are the marching orders. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach it. So, back to verse 15. How beautiful are those feet who, who bring the good news. Now, I want you to think of this. I, I went to a Bible study. This was years ago when I first came here. When I got out of my backslide, I was heavy. God was heavy. Heavy was a big word. You know, it was way better than groovy. I never got into groovy, even though I was a hippie. I thought groovy sounded stupid. Even songs like, we have a groovy kind of love. Maybe I'm dating myself. But heavy was descriptive. And I thought, God is heavy. And people need to repent and get right with God. And so a guy was doing a, a Bible study. His name was Homer Weissner. He came over for a while, was teaching, just incredibly gifted teacher, really charismatic. And so one night at a Bible study, he goes, hey, are you good news? He wasn't speaking to me, but, I mean, he addressed the whole crowd, but he might as well have just been singling me out because I had to realize, no, I'm not, I'm heavy news because God is heavy. He said, no, are you good news? Because Jesus is good news. It ruined me. It just ruined, I went home that night going, I think I got it all wrong. I've been trying to impress God, people with how heavy God was rather than, hey, this is good news. Jesus said, they're already condemned. People are already condemned. They need good news. And so how lovely are the feet who bring good news, good tidings. What glad tidings? What good news? I'm going to turn to Isaiah 61. You can do this real fast if you've got a Bible, which I recommend. In Luke 4, just a little background, when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he showed up in the temple, they go, yeah, you got something to share? He quotes from Isaiah 61. So he claims to be the guy. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now wait, years ago, I don't know if you were around long enough, people would come up and go, you want the anointing? And I'm going, what, what are you talking about? Well, their idea of the anointing was getting knocked over by God and you fall asleep on the ground. And now, look, he got the anointing. I, I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about. Because Jesus said, I've been anointed to preach the good news to the poor. The, the anointing is that special touch of the Holy Spirit that uses you and opens up the ears and the hearts of people around you. That's the anointing, where it's God's touch. It's not just human experience or human strength. So he goes, God's anointed me, here's Jesus saying, to preach good news to the poor. This world could use some good news. So this is relevant. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, there's times at the prayer meeting, out of nowhere, we have this prayer meeting every Wednesday night, except on the nights, the weeks that we have the, the church-wide prayer meeting. And, and sometimes out of nowhere, the Lord puts on my heart to pray for someone going through suicidal thoughts. And having done 
a number of suicidal funerals. I hate suicide. Just hate it. It's such a ripoff. And it usually comes from a broken heart. It usually comes from a person who thinks there's no other way out. And the good news is, Jesus came not to touch broken, to heal broken hearts. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So here he's saying, people have been locked up by sin and vices and, and trouble. And Jesus said, I'm, I'll come to set you free. We sang about it this morning. So here he is. This is the good news. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's where Jesus stopped. But it goes on. In verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion. Give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So this is what we call the exchange at the cross. You know what? Give me your ashes, and I'll make something beautiful out of it. So you can come to Jesus Christ and make this exchange. This is the good news, the glad tidings. Now, in order for this to work, I have to admit, I got nothing but ashes. It's not like everything you touch is gold. No, everything I touch kind of consumed in ashes and I got nothing. Why would you want this? Why? This is not a fair exchange. It's not like I'm giving $100 to get a watch. I'm giving ashes, nothing, worthlessness. And you're giving me something beautiful? So that's the good news. So that's why Jesus is here. Give them good news. So it goes back to my friend at that Bible study. You good news. Hopefully I am now. So then we go on to 18 through 20 to see this caring enough to share. We're back in Hebrews 10, or in Romans 10, uh, verse 18. But I say, haven't they all heard? Yes, indeed. The sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? I mean, <laughs> how come they didn't believe First, Moses said, I'll provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by foolish nation. And Isaiah is very bold when he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for life. So this is interesting. He's saying Israel, the nation Israel, was provoked to jealousy. And in context, we know it's by the Gentiles. You see how that works? Years ago, my daughter... What we're trying to get her to go from a two-wheeler or with, with the training wheels to just a two-wheeler. So Vanessa, now this is a little girl, Vanessa, she says she doesn't want to take off her training wheels. She likes the safety. And no matter what we did, Daddy's right here. I'll catch you if you fall. Uh-uh. <laughs> I guess she doesn't trust me. Don't trust issues. But. So one day, our good friend Jamie Fitzsimmons comes over with her bike with no training wheels. And they were the same age. So Jamie is out in the front street and she goes running, you know, riding away without training wheels. And Vanessa goes, what? Take my wheels off. That day, she was delivered from training wheels. She was set free, but it was 
the jealousy of, you're doing that? I should be doing that. You have that kind of trust, trust and faith? I should have that kind of trust. So in context here, he's saying to the Jews, they're going, what? God's using the Gentiles? How is that? He should be using me. So they're saying, he stirred up their jealous, by jealousy, saying, I should step it up in my walk with the Lord. I should be doing what they're doing. And then he closes with this in verse 21. But to Israel, he says all day long. Did you ever read that? All day long. I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So what does he mean? All day long. Oh, what did I do here? Sorry. All day long. Now, when you call someone on the phone, how many times do you let the phone ring before you give up? Okay, you guys with all you have is smartphones and that's all your history, you have no clue what I'm talking about because like after three rings, it goes to, you know, voice messenger or something, and that's not fair. We're talking about life in the 60s, 50s. I'm dating myself here. You know, mother knows best, no, father knows best. And you'd had one phone in the house, and it was mounted to the wall, and uh, even if you had a two-story house, there was often just one phone, and so when the phone right now, in my house there were four, four kids, so the, four, the phone rings, all four kids, I got it, and you run. But my mom would say, if you're calling somebody, let it ring. How many times do you think? Once. Oh, four. That was a good try. My mom said 11. Mom, I could take a nap in the meantime, you know? 11 times she was saying, yes, just, just to be courteous. Courteous, that's annoying. <laughs> I love it times. But that's, and so after, you know, three or four, oh, give it up. God says all day long. Do you see the contrast? What, what this is saying is God is extremely patient. He's not saying, okay, I'll give you four rings. Get it together. I'll give you 11. This is all day long. Because this is love. This is love waiting for me and you to respond. He's extremely patient. So let's go back to our carometer. Remember, instead of having my blood pressure tested, it's going to test my, my, my heart. How much do I care for lost souls? Do I really care? Do I really care? Or do I just feel justified? <laughs> At least I'm going to heaven. So here's an old illustration I've used for many years. It's one of my favorite, but I haven't used it in a long time. It's now 27 years old. I still remember the day this happened. This is, uh, this is Officer Wayne Dean Memorial Interchange because it happened on January 17th, 1994. This is Karen's mom's birthday and Justine's mom's birthday. Uh, and it happened at 4.30 in the morning in California. It was a, an earth, earthquake hit that was 6.7 magnitude, and 27 years ago it cost 20 billion, actually more than 20 billion. This, 20 billion is a lot today, okay? 27 years ago, this was an enormous amount of money. So Officer Dean gets woken up from his deep sleep at 4.30 in the morning. 
he hops on his motorcycle, he's a motorcycle cop, and he flies to, to headquarters to see what he can do. Well, unfortunately, he didn't realize the road ahead had collapsed. So you have to understand, this is pitch black, there's no lights, 4.30 in the morning, he is screaming on his motorcycle, plunged 40 feet to his death, and so I, I don't want to be gruesome, but here, here's, uh, here's his body and here's his motorcycle. It's been 27 years. He crossed over into eternity. He's still there. Okay, it's not back and forth. He's still there. All right, so, and I trust him. He's a great guy. I don't know. But now let's see how it fits into us. See these guys up on the bridge or up on that part that before it fell? Let's pretend you're one of those guys. All right? And, and in this story, you know there's danger ahead. Danger 911. There's a train wreck, if you will. It's a certain death. Slow down. And what if you see Officer Dean coming? Wouldn't you go out and, and warn him? Wouldn't you go, hey, stop, stop, stop. You don't understand. There's certain death ahead. Wouldn't you actually look like a fanatic? Man, what's gotten into you? I see it. It's so clear. But would you warn him about eternity? It's my experience. More people are concerned about physical death than they are about spiritual death forever, times forever, times forever. More people are concerned about COVID-19 than they are about dying and going to hell. See, it just works every day. But in this thing, with the careometer on, on our heart, do I care enough to say it's crystal clear to me there is certain spiritual death ahead. You are heading for death. Stop. Like in, in Proverbs 21, it says, oh, hold them back who are headed to death. So it means, just like this, get in the way. Be prepared to hear, you're judging me, I am, but I'm also your best friend right now. Stop. Stop. So with that in mind, we're going to see why don't we share. So JesusFilm.org asked this question. Uh, we asked over 1,600 Christians uh, why they don't share their faith. Now, Pastor Jason shared last week that the statistics are basically, depending on what site you use, 95% to 98% of Christians have never led someone to the Lord. So it means 2% to maybe 5% are doing the work. 95 to 98% of Christians have never led someone to the Lord. Okay, so they're going, why? Why don't you share Number one, 3% said they were feeling, felt too pushy. Who am I to judge? Hey, you know what? Quote the Word of God. Quote the Word of God. Your lifestyle is not consistent with what God's looking for. Okay? Uh, another 22% on the other side said they were fearful. At least I think that's an honest answer. I'm afraid. How do I start? I'm afraid I won't know. They're going to ask me something I won't know. You know, just or, or they'll think I'm judging them. And so at least they're honest. I'm afraid. 17% said they lacked opportunity. I love this. That might be you. For me, 
I'm surrounded by Christians. It's a great thing on one hand, but I'm kind of isolated and insulated. I think most of the guys on staff are saved. I don't know. Some might question. But if we, all you do is you're surrounded by Christians, you lack opportunity. And sometimes you've got to get outside of that, break the bubble. So years ago, my son was uh, playing soccer. I thought, why? Well, I, I played soccer growing up in school, and so I'm going to coach. And go in there. this is almost 30 years ago. This is a long time ago. And uh, I wanted to get involved more in this community. If they're not coming here, let's go to them. And so uh, Toby was my son. He has a friend named Pat, and they, they turned out to be literally partners in crime. And Pat, Kolohe is too nice of a word. Kolohe means rascal in Hawaiian. This guy, these two guys were really works of art. They both end up in prison. Not for the same reason, but at the same time. Pats in, he gets out, goes back in, comes back out. So one night he calls me and Karen and goes, because we kept in contact all these years. And he goes, hey, uh, we have this house. I got married. We have a house. Can you come bless the house? And they're on this island and kind of far away. And I said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll come over. So we went over after church one day, I think it was. And uh, he goes, uh, can you pray for my wife? She can't get pregnant. Yeah, we've done this before, and miracles happen. Just like we sang about, miracles happen. People get pregnant. The other night we're home, and I get a call, because we prayed for them to get pregnant. And, hey, Mike, you home? Yeah, we're coming over. Okay, thanks for the notice. Uh, he gives me an invite to their baby shower. She's like this big. She's pregnant. And they both said, it's because of you guys. You prayed. Now, we know it's the Lord, all right? But it started with a lack of opportunity. It started with, I want to get more involved in this community. I, I want to cross those lines to where I'm reaching more people. You might be uh, uh, not sharing as much as you can because you're surrounded by Christians. Lack of opportunity. 17% said, you know what? Nothing is stopping me. I'm a Christian. I know what I believe. I know in whom I believe. I know what to share. Really, I don't have any excuses. Perfect. So, what do I share? I love this. If you know Jesus, you have a faith story to tell. It's the old, like measles, you can't give them away until you got them. When you have a before and after picture of Jesus Christ, and you might say, I don't. I was raised a Christian. Hey, you know what? I love your testimony. According to Peter in 1 Peter, it says, you've been kept by the power of God. I love those testimonies. Share it. Share it. You don't, don't think you have to be a heroin addict and three times thrown in jail and thrown under the bus. No, it doesn't matter. Just it's your story. Share it. Now, how do I begin? My favorite slide, the whole, whole slide. Watch this. This guy, there's a party for ambassadors. This is a true story. I read it years ago. I might have some of it kind of mixed up, but the gist is there. So this guy 
I think he was an ambassador. He's having a party for all these ambassadors, important people. And he, his dad is in town. His dad tells everybody about Jesus. So he pulls his dad aside and said, Dad, don't go telling people about Jesus. <laughs> That's like telling the ocean, don't be full of water. You know, so his dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first, the first ambassador shows up at the party. <laughs> I love this. His dad goes up and he goes, hey, how's your soul? I was never asked that question before. How's your soul? He's an ambassador. He's used to people trying to, you know, jockey into position, get some political favors, get a connection, get a little advance over here. But this guy cares about him. Hey, how's your soul? It led to one of the best conversations about Jesus ever, ever. So his dad ends up dying. And this ambassador goes to the dad's funeral. And he says to the son, you know what I like about your dad? He's the only one who cared about my soul. So remembering this story and knowing it's coming up soon in the sermon, I've been asking some of you, how's your soul? I don't just do it for unsaved people. I think a lot of Christians need to be asked, how's your soul? And some would go, awesome. Others would go, you know what, I'm faking it. I'm faking it. I'm on thin ice. I'm being tempted like crazy. How's your soul? That's a great way to open. Hey, how's your soul? Then well, what, what, what do I share? Well, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Meaning, it wasn't a last-second plan like, God's, oh, man, what are we going to do? It was prophesied for hundreds, thousands of years. This is what's going to happen. It goes back to the garden. You're going to bruise his head. He's going to bruise your heel. A reference to what Christ will do to Satan and what Satan will do to Christ. It's, it's a, according to the scriptures. Like, so you go to I, Isaiah 53. You know, uh, our sin was laid upon him. According to the scriptures, it's, it's not that he died for your mistakes or your boo-boos. He died for your sin. Let's get down to reality. First step, he died for my sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, meaning he really died. He was there for three days. And then he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. You go, what scriptures? You go to Psalm 16. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. It's a direct uh, prophecy about he's not going to be corrupted in the, in the grave. So here's what you should, the basics, you're sharing this. Then it goes back to Romans 10. I want you to think about this. Last week we said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, remember, what's the big deal about resurrection? He conquered death. He led the way into heaven. By admitting this, you're admitting, I also will be resurrected and end up in one of two places, okay? You'll be saved. And then it has that wonderful promise Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. I don't know if you're here this morning. You're even doubting, I don't know, my, my weakness. I didn't, I didn't live like someone who's saved. Did you call on the name of the Lord? Do you know somebody? You go, I guess there is hope for that guy. I guess there is hope for that girl. You know, and, and just, yeah, go and share. Say, God, prepare my heart. 
You know the story about Jesus and Peter and Peter's mother-in-law? Mother-in-law's sick, sick in bed with a fever. First, they tell Jesus about her, and then Jesus goes and heals. I think that's a great thing for, for, or for witnessing. First, tell Jesus about that person. God, would you go before me and, and work on their heart? I don't want to go there cold turkey, and this is going nowhere. I want to see you at work. I want to end right here. If the worship team can come back, and I want us to be thinking, who am I supposed to share with? You know, it's funny, we can, we can pray that in the morning, Lord, who do you want me to share with? Why don't you turn it around and go, Lord, who do you not want me to share with? Because I will stay away from that person. Who do you want me to share with, Lord? I want to be faithful. I want to be scriptural. I want to start with, hey, how's your soul? Because that's my carometer that I, I care for more than just your position in life or what you can give me. I want to know if you're going to be with me in heaven forever. Let's pray a simple prayer. Father, is there someone here who's supposed to share with someone this week? And they've been thinking of every excuse why not to. Lord, what's our care in our heart? May the care for others be greater than being insulted, being afflicted. Lord, we want to walk through life like you're right next to us. Your hand is on our shoulder. You're prompting us. You're speaking to us. You're suggesting what, what thoughts even bring up, what subjects to bring up. Lord, we believe there's more for us here. We believe there's more this week. Cleanse us, fill us, embolden us, make us fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.